Howdy, everyone. Welcome to the Kofefi Break on Unsafe Space. Today is Wednesday, March 25th. Uh, I'm your host, Carter Laren, and I'm joined by, you thought that one of us, either Carrie or I, were going to abandon you today, but we did not. Um, we just have an extra person. So first of all, Carrie is here. There's Carrie. Say hi, Carrie. Hi, Carter. Good morning. Good afternoon. And, but we also <laughs> have with us Julianne Davis. Hey, Julianne, how are you doing? Hello. Hi, everybody. Hi, um, for those of you who don't remember Julianne Davis, who has been on the show before, um, she has been an actress, model, singer, artist, writer, and sometimes political op-ed journalist for Fox News and Heat Street Magazine. She's a dual USA-UK citizen, um, and she's traveled the world and lived in a variety of countries uh, in Europe for nearly two decades, which brings her, gives her an international perspective to politics and life. When she came out publicly not as gay, but as conservative, and a Trump supporter in 2016 through a Fox op-ed, uh, she was immediately insulted, dissed publicly by pundits like Bill Maher, and on social media shunned and received threats and was unfriended by many of her entertainment peers because Hollywood is so full of love. Uh, but she continues to stand strong by her beliefs, and we're happy to have her on, on Confefi today. So welcome again, Julianne. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Uh, we are... Um, I, there's just so much to talk to talk talk to you about. I I first reached out to talk to you because um, of this tweet that I think it was it Cernovich who who tweeted first about the Imagine thing that you responded to. Oh yeah, um, I think it was yes, yeah. Yeah, and um, you mentioned something about maybe Hollywood's not quite the meritocracy that people might imagine it is, and you and I uh, sort of got into a little conversation about that. Why don't you... No, it's not. I, I, I definitely um, agree with that. I think the thing is, a lot of people see people on a big screen and they immediately think, wow, you know, they've, they've made it to the ultimate, um, you know, club of these people are, are so talented and, you know, like off the chart talented and knowledgeable and all of these things, right? Now, that's not to say that there isn't people in Hollywood that are that are extremely talented. They are. Um, however, I would say that the majority is pretty average. Um, it's really more a matter of how how uh, connected you are and the power of those connections. You know. So it's who you know more than maybe how great you are. Can we back? Can we back up and tell people what video that you you said prompted this, Carter? Because um, I know we talked about it briefly in one other episode, but if you guys haven't seen it, it's this video of a bunch of celebrities um, with their camera phones. It's um, edited together, all these different celebrities singing "Imagine," and it's atrocious. And, <laughs> and it it's just it just really. I mean, can I just go? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's really bad, right? I mean, I hate the song anyway, but it's like an extra level of bad. Sorry, Carrie. I used to like the song. Oh, did you? I used to like the song. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Uh, really? Yeah. You both like the, like the song? The song. You know, I mean, it's got lovely chord changes, and it seems so um, idealistic. Uh, but, but the lyrics are so atrocious. It's such a communist a, propaganda is, piece. It's such a disconnect with um, the left. Because on one hand, they have this dream that, 
you know, we can have this beautiful utopianist world with open borders and everybody loving on everyone else. And unfortunately, that's not humanity. It's really not. So it's, it's very strange that they can say that. And then out of the other side of their mouth, they're saying how, you know, terrible the West is and America is and that it was, you know, built on slavery and that we're just a bunch of oppressors, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, it's so kind of just down and hate filled on all things Western Christian, uh, things having to do with borders, things having to do with freedom and protecting ourselves. I mean, I don't even, when they talk about democracy, I'm thinking, what the hell are you talking about? You don't actually even know what that means. No. <laughs> you know? And I don't know. I, th- I guess the thing that always has bothered me is uh, the idea that socialism or, or communism is a, I, I actually view that song as more communist than socialist. The idea that communism is somehow a peaceful, idyllic, view is just makes no sense to me um it could be a peaceful idyllic view i don't think so because because well hang on if humans were not involved no i i don't even i don't even think so because the only um i mean maybe it's hard to imagine a system without humans because systems are for humans but i i look i mean Humans have two ways of dealing act like interacting with one another. We can do it voluntarily or we can do it with force. So you right. and, and that's the difference between making love and rape. Like those are the two yeah. options you have for sex. Yep. You can do it voluntarily yep. or you can or it can be forced. Those are the, the categories of human interactions. In yeah. a free society, human interactions are voluntary. The more the society is free, the more interactions are voluntary. In communism, no interaction is voluntary. Everything is dictated by the state. That is they totally don't care that's force. That's what that is. They don't care about that so long as things are fair. Right. It's but all that, about right, being right. Fair. Right. So that's why we. And, that's and why. That, and, and, go ahead. Right, and that comes before um, the fact that it's forced or not. It's like if it's fair and equal. Okay, stop there. That's 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 what we. That's what we're interested in. Fair and equal. You know, right. And but, so, you so know, communism ends up where everyone's fair and equally dead in a mass right. grave. That's where yeah. it ends. You know, I want to go back to talking about the Hollywood thing, since that's what we did our little headline that we were going to talk about Hollywood, the dark side. <laughs> Sorry, of Hollywood, I sidetracked. Talk, <laughs> I just want to say the thing I find so interesting about the progressives in Hollywood is that quite honestly, they talk about they they talk through both sides of their mouth on one side. They want to be seen as, and you know, there's probably a lot of people that really feel this way. They, that they care about people and they want the world to be equal and fair and, you know, and they feel emotionally bad for people that have had a hard time and all that stuff, which, you know, you can see how that can be um, attractive and commendable on, on one hand. But when you start getting into the business of film and filmmaking, especially when it's on a level where you've got millions and millions of dollars being invested, these same people um, are quite happy to take those millions of dollars and they aren't questioning where those millions of dollars are coming from. And this is the thing that um, a lot of people don't realize about Hollywood. And I think when I first realized it um, was at the end, well, you know what, I don't want to name names. 
I, I won't name names. You, you don't have to name expect- names, but I, I got to say, what no. you're saying right now is like, when people think we're going to talk about the dark side of Hollywood, they think about lots of things, but not a lot of people think about this, and it wasn't even something that crossed my mind. Let's just be clear. You're talking about the the fundamental business of Hollywood and how it operates. And Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not just, you know, there's, there's, you're right. There's a whole lot of elements of the dark side of Hollywood, okay? You've got you know, all the power struggles, you've got the Harvey Weinsteins of this world, you know, you've got the drugging and the rapes or the, or the threat of that, or, you know, people playing those games in order to move up in Hollywood, you know, cause there's plenty of women and men that play those games on both sides of the picture when it comes to the whole, you know, casting couch scenario. But no, I'm talking more about the business end and about funding, about film funding and where the funding comes from and the international community uh, or the international business of film funding. And the thing is, is that, you know, let's let's talk about film funding. Um, Now you've heard about um, these little films. In fact, I even helped a friend of mine who's a director and I was one of the associate producers to try and do a crowd fund and they're still trying to work on getting more funding in order to make this film. I'm not talking about those guys. I'm not talking about guys that have, you know, um, accrued a bit of savings, doing a crowd fund. Maybe somebody's remortgaged their house and they're going to do a film and they're going to, you know, it's a real passion project and they're going to do something for, I don't know, 100K, 200K, which is more doable today than ever before, which is super fantastic. What I'm talking about is the multi, multi million dollar films, the 50 and 100 million dollar films, those kinds of levels of of film investment. Um, When you invest in film, it's extremely risky because it's it's not a reliable um, investment. You never know, even if all of the elements are there, for instance, you know, if you've got Say you've got you you throw five six stars into a picture and you you take a writer who's got this track record of all these great films and you're thinking oh yeah this is gonna this is gonna go no problem at all this is this is gonna be a big hit and it ends up tanking but people have spent millions of dollars okay so let me ask you who do you think is going to put their money into something that is that risky. Um, well, I mean, I, I, I've I've seen a little you bit want of to just answer that for you guys. Yeah, I've seen a little bit Think of film financing. Well, well, not, I have a... not many people will do it. Um, the structures are pretty egregious, but I don't want to answer because you explained this to me the other day, so I feel like I'm cheating. Well, before you explain, I I don't know. I I have read. Um, I, I worked on a, a small budget film, which is more of what you're talking about, like crowdfunding, that kind of thing. And we had a guy who wanted to get into the film industry who put in a million million dollars, but that's not what you're talking about. I think what you're getting at, and maybe I'm wrong, but I've read a lot about China investing in our films. Is that where we're going or? No, that's not where I'm going. Okay. That's, it's, that could be part of it. Yeah. But no, where I'm going is this. Money laundering. Money laundering. Okay, so when we're talking about who are laundering money, who is this? People that are doing um, drug trafficking, guns, and humans. 
right? Whether it be human slave tra trafficking, sex trafficking, child trafficking, organs, you name it. Um, but those are the um, corporations, and I, and I call them corporations. I mean, look at the cartels. Let's just look at the Mexican cartels. They are now. When we were young, we used to think of the Mexican cartels as, you know, Pedro and uh, Miguel and a few of their buddies in uh, like a sort of out of the way warehouse in some sub town that's kind of up to no good kind of thing, right? Now, it is a multi-billion dollar international conglomerate. Now, when you think about that, yep. now think about all that money that they need to figure out a way to kind of launder it. Where are they going to do it? I can, and, and once you said that, that if, they can, it's like they'll take it from one place to another place to another place, put it in a bank account. The bank account's going to be, I don't know, Swiss or, or Danish or who knows. And, you know, they will find a way to make it look as though it's a legit thing that they are investing in. So, you know, a big um, studio. Now, I'm not going to say, oh, it's Warner Brothers that does this, or, oh, it's, you know, 21st Century Fox that does this. I'm not going to say which one or which film or whatever. And, you know, and it might be that some films are completely legit, but I would say that there's also a lot of films that um, get their money from some dubious sources. And, and this makes perfect sense, though, right? Because if you're trying to launder money, you need you need large first of all you, it's inefficient to do it in small amounts so you need something large and some of these blockbuster big budget things are you know like the budgets are huge you can put a right. hundred million dollars in there and no one's going to notice that it's an extra hundred million or whatever like maybe not maybe that's a little bit much but 20 an extra 25 million someone might not even pay attention right. to and you've got a lot of union uh, there's a lot of labor around it a lot of union labor around it and so you can have you can control the other side and actually pull money back out very easily um, in cash. So, I mean, it's a beautiful way to just legitimize a whole bunch of money. Um, and, yeah, and yeah. and it really, I mean, I, I discovered this because um, a fellow actor told me something like this back in 2006, I think it was. And it really shocked me. Um, and it shocked me that um, I could have unwittingly gotten money from those sources. Right. For work that I did. Well, you've and, been in some big movies with like stars, uh, like you yeah. know, and you know they were big enough budgets that maybe. Yeah. Which ironically, one of uh, you were in a movie about um, kind of secret underground elite sexual fetishes yep. eyes wide shut yep yeah um i am i'm absolutely positive that that goes on um those sorts of parties and those sorts of circles and in fact i mean i i haven't been to um those sorts of sex parties although i've been invited to them um but you know when we're talking about those sorts of um there's this kind of echelon of um, international circles that involve, you know, not just the film industry, but the music industry, um, you know, just entertainment in general, 
uh, sports stars, whatever, um, politicians, royalty, uh, investment bankers, you know, like really successful investment bankers, uh, commodities people, people that deal in, you know, steel, iron, gold, silver, um, you know, so I'm talking about this kind of top echelon of people that have either a lot of money or you've got, you know, um, oh, and the fashion industry, you know, you have models, actors, uh, beautiful people. Um, and so it, this is this is this area where they all kind of meet and intermingle. And, um, you know, for me, I mean, I think I've said this to you before. I, 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 I made a promise to myself a, a long, long time ago that um, that, you know, whatever I did in, in any aspect of any of these businesses, that I wasn't going to delve into the dark side simply because. I just don't know if I could really live with myself the next day or later. And, you know, and I did have some bad experiences and I did have some close calls and I did have some times where I would meet people and just think, oof, you know, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to, um, you know, get involved in your world or your circle. I just got, you know, I was either creeped out by them or I just had a sense. It was like this little alarm bell would go off. Just go, ooh, you know, you need to steer clear of that guy or that woman or whatever. Now, this I assume politicians are involved in these circles as well. I mean, it sounds kind of like it, no, the it's Bilderberg not really group, the but for Hollywood. No, it's not at the audition level. It's not. Um, I no. mean, it, uh, well, it hasn't been my experience. I mean, the audition level for me has um, always been pretty legit. No, not, not the audition uh, you know, level. I never, but... saying, I never had anybody saying to me, Oh, you know, do you think you could, you know, do me a favor there? <laughs> and oh, oh Carter's breaking up actually. Carter was saying he thinks that there, he assumes there are politicians involved as well. He didn't say audition. Oh, 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 breaking oh. Up. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, you know, um, so, for instance, some of these people, it's just the, the, the circles that they run in, you know, it, there's royalty, there's politicians. I mean, I, I, I used to go to these parties in London. Um, oh, it's a crime, the Crime Stoppers party. Okay, so uh, Crime Stoppers UK. And at these parties, you had people like me looking all, you know, glamorous with, um, and I would go with Bruce Oldfield and um, he's a big designer in London, so I would go with him. I'd be, you know, like decked out in diamonds and his either, you know, outfits or gowns or whatever. Um, and then the other people that would be there would be, um, you know, like William Haig, who was the head of the Conservative Party. Um, uh, Michael Portillo, who I used to talk to a lot, who, um, you know, was one of the MPs and then later on ended up becoming um, more of a kind of, uh, political uh, presenter and stuff on, um, you know, UK TV, like the BBC, etc. Um, and then, you know, there were other other big models, um, other actors. Um, sometimes, you know, royalty would be there if it would be, you know, like um, I didn't. I never saw. Um, I never saw um, Prince Charles, but I have been to parties where. Um, uh, Who's the one that's that's under um, investigation with the whole Epstein thing? What's I thought that was oh, that's uh, I thought that was Charles Prince Albert. Not. Albert, yeah, thank you. No, no, Prince Albert yeah. is is it Albert? Oh, no. Andrew, 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 
Andrew. Yes, Andrew. You know, and I parted with Prince Albert, actually. You know, the crown prince of Monaco. Yeah. Um, so uh, when, I'm, when I say that I've kind of been in these circles, I, I, I've seen things, you know? I've met these people. And they well, all... So, even so, even someone who's outside of it, like like most of our viewers are not in the you know, have, have, have not been in these circles that you're talking about. I worked in entertainment and I wasn't in these circles. I worked with, you know, small comedians for the most part. Um, but, well, so uh, a different level even, in, in the UK, cause I had a level of fame over there. Um, that was different from, you know, my experience coming back to this country. Right. And so I was sort of catapulted into that level. So, but so for even, even for people who are outside of it, like myself, I think the Epstein thing kind of opened my eyes to just how prevalent um, these, just just the dark secrets that so many people in the industry keep. And um, you, I, my mind thinks, oh, how is it possible that so many people would know something and not come forward? Or there wouldn't be, you know, a big story about it. But we've seen in the fallout of Epstein and Weinstein that they're very good at um, bringing you, bringing people into this circle, and then they have something on you. And okay, so, so, here's 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 how it works for people on both ends of that spectrum. If you're somebody like Harvey or like Epstein, what are you going to do? Um, in fact, I'm just going to headline this with the phrase birds of a feather. Okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. So you are going to surround yourself with like-minded people. And when everybody is doing the same thing, number one, yes, you have something on each other. And number two, it is almost in a bizarre way, kind of moralized because everyone else is doing it. Therefore it's okay. Mm -hmm. You get my point? Yeah. yeah. Now, in the meantime, there are other people that are kind of surrounded by some of these people that are in the business. Their career is ticking over. There's things happening. I mean, if we were just going to talk about the film industry, um, they are, you know, they're getting things done. They're making money. Um, if it's somebody who is a director or a producer or, or an actor and they've got a project that they're really excited about doing and they're able to do it, and, and get that done, that's really great for them on a creative level. So they just think, okay, you know what? I know that some of these people are really creepy, um, but I'm just gonna try and kind of just, I mean, obviously I have to have my little toe dipped into this, but I'm just gonna try and kind of navigate around this so that I keep my, um, my dealings with them at an absolute minimum and still get what I want for my career um, and sort of keep that going, you know, because the other thing about Hollywood is that if you gain more power in Hollywood where, you know, if say your passion project or your acting role um, catapults you to a different level, then maybe later on that in that slightly more powerful role, you might have more choices and might have to have might get more pull on another project that maybe you're even more excited about. So if you, if you if you think of it on those terms, there's a lot of people that was just like, Ugh, you know, these people are creepy, but unfortunately they're super powerful, so I kind of have to deal with them. 
but mm-hmm. I just want to sort of still kind of do my own thing and, you know, keep things going in that direction. I, there's something really spineless about that to me, just as like, there's something weird about calling them creepy. They're not creepy. They're predator. They're like, they're, they're worse than creepy. Creepy is like a, oh, that guy I, I, seems I, I'm creepy. probably blitting lit. I mean, it depends on, on, you know, who they are. I'm, I mean, is it? Is it a you know a director or producer that um, um, that you know has a penchant for um, you know younger girls that um, you know kind of entices them into bed or to do sexual favors and you know and some young girls kind of either um, end up doing this or getting duped or getting drugged and they're upset and then they just kind of like you know take a shower, brush themselves off and kind of just move on, which is pretty much what happened to me. Um, when I was really young, I was drugged and duped by a producer who's dead now. But, um, you know, I remember being really freaked out about the experience and then calling my agent the next day. And, and she said, Oh, you know, I'm really sorry that happened to you. Look, just stay home today. You'll be fine tomorrow. So it's like a normal thing. The agent knew how to deal with. This is what I, I, yeah. But that's what a lot of us did, you know, and I mean, even though I don't agree with Rose McGowan on a lot of her other issues, and I think she's a little bit unhinged, um, at the same time, I, there's another side of me that's going, bravo, yeah, bravo, bravo, you spoke up, you yeah. did it, you didn't care, you still said something, yeah, majorly, majorly powerful, bravo, you know. God, <laughs> I'm not worthy, really, because I mean that took a serious amount of guts, a serious amount, because yeah. she knew that her career could be, you know, uh, I mean, a, a lot of people have admired me for coming forward, but um, honestly, maybe I would have, I, I should have been more gutsy coming forward, um, you know, just in the midst of my, of when I was working most, that would have been the most gutsy for me to do. Well, you wouldn't have gotten any work, but, um, yeah, I mean, and, so and, it, you know, but at least, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm happy I came forward. I'm bummed that I'm not working as much, but I'm still happy I came forward. I, I am. I don't regret it. I don't. And I never will. So I have a question about, um, just like human motivation or, um, like, like, if we go back to talking about the celebrities who participate in something like that imagine video, which just felt so tone deaf, like they don't there to me, it came off as just kind of clueless narcissists who have, have become so separated from the common man that they don't realize how it's going to look. They don't um, see it that way. They don't. How do, how do they see it? They see it as, um, you know, they are these kind of, um, I don't want to call them freedom fighters because they're not. Um, it's like, I'm fighting for the democracy of America and for America to be a wonderful place and for me to um, respect my president and for all of us to be treated fairly and equally. And, you know, and, and I'm one of these that's fighting for all of those things. You know, it's that social justice thing. It's, it's no different. I mean, you know how social justice people think. Yeah. It's no different. And, you know, for them... They, um, even if they've got oodles of money, they still think of themselves the same way. 
But this is this brings up a question that someone in, this brings up something that someone in chat asked. Like Tabitha says, well, why don't we hear about social justice warriors fighting this? Because if they are like this, kind of circles back to what you were saying before. If they view themselves as social justice warriors, if they're all about social justice, why are they also the people hiding rampant pedophilia and sexual exploitation and everything else? Because their viewpoint is they hope that they can um, navigate around that world just enough to get another project that will, um, that will give them a little bit more power to be able to um, you know, tell this wonderful story or whatever. Mm -hmm. That's why. This is how they because rationalize it, it, is what you're saying. It's like, well, yeah, and because also it's just, you know, it's so, it's so enmeshed in like the foundations of Hollywood, this, these people, you know, humans, they love power. Mm -hmm. They love power, they love money and they love fame. And you have all of those things converging in Hollywood. Um, and so, of course, those people that are, you know, I'm going to say it, evil, um, are going to do anything and everything to get there. I had a, um, a writer friend, um, well-known script writer. We were friends for a while. Actually, I haven't talked to him since I've come out, interestingly enough. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure um, that's just coincidence. You know, we, we talked about the dark side of Hollywood, and you know, we had some interesting conversations. I mean, he's, he's more on the left, but for some reason, really an intelligent and actually sardonic guy. Um, but, you know, we'd have these um, interesting conversations and I was talking about the dark side and he said to me, he said, as dark as you think Hollywood is, it's a thousand times darker. Now you think about that. I mean, now people <laughs> wonder, why is it that all these actors are, um, you know, they start drinking, they have drinking problems or they've got painkiller problems and all these things is you have to put yourself in a position where say you get booked on a on a, a film or on a TV show and initially when you get booked on something you think all oh, right you know i've made it i'm here i've arrived right and mm -hmm. then when you're actually on the set and then you start witnessing you know cuz you think that just by getting hired you kind of um you've kind of overcome that initial layer of BS. And so you think, okay, so I'm there. So now I, I don't have to deal with all that crap because, you know, all of these people are now working and we're just all a bunch of working people and we're, you know, it's all good. And we're all kind of fighting for this um, to make this amazing film or a TV show or whatever. But then when you're in there and you're on set and then you start seeing the little cliques that are forming and the little hierarchies here and there. And you start seeing how you have to navigate through all this stuff and try and, um, you know, keep your part, what you want it kind of, you know, make like suggestions to the director, but without having him consider that you're being too forth forceful or bitchy. Um, you know, being nice to the, um, the hairstylist and the makeup artist, even though you sense that they really kind of don't like you that much, but you're not really sure and you don't know what they're saying about you to some of the other actors. And it's this feeling of 
constantly being on guard. And that's what working in Hollywood is like, at least for me. I, I felt like I was on guard, you know? I so, didn't know who my friends were. And then even the ones that that act like they're your friend. I mean, I had another experience. I'm not gonna, again, I'm not gonna name names, but I was really disappointed because it was a long project. And I got to be really good friends with um, one of the other actresses and we would go out to lunch and, you know, hung out and all this stuff. And um, she was English, but she needed to do an American accent. So also, you know, she would say, so how do you say this? And we would, you know, we discuss about American accent. So I helped her improve her accent so that it was perfect for the show. And then when the show was done, she just disappeared, completely disappeared. And I was hurt actually at first, you know, cause I thought, wow, I, I actually really thought we were genuine friends. Yeah, it's it's almost like um, uh, even in in my limited experience, there um, working in um, we we got to produce a late night show for a short while. Um, it's almost like Mean Girls, like high school, but oh, yeah. it's with adults who have uh, unlimited, in some cases, lot like access to power and money yeah. and nobody telling them no. Yep. And so it's like Mean Girls, but with, like you it said, is. It is unfathomable like darkness. So imagine if you're dealing with that all the time and, you know, you have to be really careful about what you say, who you are, how you behave, who you say something to. If that person doesn't turn around and say it to somebody else, which then turns around and stabs you in the back, you can understand mm -hmm. the stress level that you would be dealing with and why you would want to self-medicate if the idea of you staying in that position or staying in your level of fame that you've achieved is important to you. And that's, that's really the thing. I mean, you know, there's a lot of um, actors that um, the way they live their life and the people that they surround them with and the choices they make of how they make themselves available and things like this, um, it's all this kind of construct in order to retain their level of fame and kind of elitism. All the while, you'll see them on an interview going, um, well, yes, you know, and just kind of being really kind of humble and friendly and lovely. But the real yeah. life... The, the real life situation is, you know, they could be just a total elitist, not talk to anybody on set, refuse to have anybody, um, you know, see them um, if they're walking from, you know, dressing room to set or whatever. And in fact, you know, I mean, I ever, I had a situation where I was shooting a film and again, I'm not going to name names, but shooting a film and I had the director's assistant say to me, don't talk to so-and-so, you know, when you're just, you know, do your rehearsals, but don't, don't talk to him about anything else kind of thing. Like, you're not allowed to do that. And I'm like, oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> you know, there's definitely a level of narcissism. I'm, I'm wondering if um, this is something I've been thinking about for a few years. So if you, if you look at other fields, like, <clears throat> uh, I don't know engineers, right? 
Uh, there's not like an elitist cabal of engineers who make millions of dollars on projects and then everyone else who just kind of has like a str struggling job. I mean, there are some engineers who go on to start companies or whatever. And, and can I just say but... engineers are the world's unsung heroes? <laughs> could, yes. Right. I'm not kidding so, you. I'm not kidding you. I, I, um, electrical, I, um, um, you know, civil engineers. My brother is a civil engineer. And the world would not, you know, the civilized world would not be what it is if it were not for civil engineers. So let me just say, they are our unsung heroes. My dad and my brother are civil engineers. There you go. So, yeah. <laughs> well, yep. I, I guess I when shouldn't have given up engineering. I shouldn't be doing that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, so you don't see that in fields like engineering, but um, to, to the most, for the most part, you see uh, a large number of people all making pretty good salaries, not... Uh, a few people making lots and most people making nothing. But in acting, you see that that disparity. And um, I think one of the things that's been that drives that is it's been so expensive to make and distribute movies historically that um, it's it's uh, you, you basically develop a little cabal of people that have access to that money and distribution, and those people make the movies over and over again. And I'm wondering that as we move forward, and they want to ensure their place. They ensure their place, thereby ensuring their money, thereby ensuring their power. Right. You know, I mean, if you're making that kind of cash, you want to ensure your place. So that's why I say about a lot of people in Hollywood, they they talk out of two sides of their mouth. You know, on one side they want to be, you know, that kind of um, you know, warm, fuzzy feeling of, oh, you know, I want the world to be a great place. Let's sing Imagine, you know. And then the other side of their mouth is saying, right, I want 20 million for this picture, you know, and I don't care where the 20 million came from. Right. But even but, if it's from dubious sources, even it's from the very sources that they're going, oh my God, we need to stop human and drug trafficking. Right. And yet, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> side it's like oh I'm, I'm taking my 20 mil thanks you know right. but i just I, you know i know i'm not usually the optimist on the show but as i look at how the economics of of film and distribution is changing i wonder if we are coming to the end of an era with respect to blockbuster stars because um, i hope so it is I getting so. increasingly cheap to myself. make and distribute film um and so the the cheaper it gets and the more commoditized it gets, maybe we'll we'll enter. Hopefully, maybe we'll enter an era where uh, there's kind of more of a level playing field, and actors become more like engineers. And you might find a good movie by a bunch of people you've never seen or heard of before, because it's right. relatively cheap to to manufacture or to right. you know film and distribute. Do you think that's and in our cards, or am I being overly I, optimistic? I do. I do think it's in the cards. Um, I hope it continues in that direction. Um, but I think a big part of it is that, see, the whole way that people that are famous keep their fame is that they, they keep this sort of sense that, um, they are these kind of elitists. And so you almost have to tear down the, the, um, um, that sort of construct that is around their elitism. And then you start to realize like, you know, I mean, look, I have met, some amazing actors, incredible actors that can do incredible things that are not hugely famous. In fact, some of them are total unknowns and they're fabulous, you know, and I'm not saying that anybody can act because I've certainly seen people that cannot act. They can't, you know, or they, 
or they don't have the level of focus where sometimes they can act and then sometimes they fall out of it and it's like, er, not quite right, you know? Yep. Um, but acting isn't, to be an average actor, I don't think it's incredibly hard. I'm just going to mm-hmm. say, I don't. I yeah. don't think it's incredibly hard. And yeah. I think I, a lot of it is just, you know, are these people in the club? Are they in the club? I mean, a, another friend of mine was saying to me, um, another very famous person actually rang him up as his star was really rising. And he said, welcome to the club. Yeah. And wow. we don't know who gets into the club. I mean, say, okay, let's let's look at, here's the situation. I, I, I think I talked to you about this, Carter. Um, look at me and my situation. Like, you know, here I was, this kind of the new ingenue on Eyes Wide Shut. And then, you know, and I was getting a ton of attention as soon as that came out because like, who is this girl, right? Um, and then look at someone like Cameron Diaz in The Mask. Now, we both had a very similar start. Neither Cameron or I were huge supermodels, but we were working models and, you know, things were kind of ticking along and and all that. But, you know, we got lucky and we got this part. Now, Cameron Diaz went on to become this huge star and I didn't. Now, I'm not going to I'm not going to sit there and say, oh, you know, I'm I'm really bummed out that I didn't become a huge star. I actually think maybe I was spared, you know, yeah. well, I, you, I, I just, you, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't want the pressure and maybe some of these people that were in power sense that I wasn't like them. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they did. And maybe they thought, no, no, she's, she's not one of the ones that we're going to choose. But and, there's not a measurable difference no, really between no reason to it. And I, I'm, and I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm actually thankful. Well, it's like the lottery. It's, um, you see all these stories of like, I don't think most people are equipped to handle it. And when you see stories of people win the lottery and so many of those stories end in tragedy, like murder, yeah. suicide, addiction, losing all their money. Yeah. And it's like that, I think with fame or it can be like that where um, what you're Absolutely. talking about, people and start self medicating. Yes. And I do think you need to be really equipped. And then, you know, we also have to get into a whole thing of why do people want to be famous? Why do people want to get into acting? You mm-hmm. and I were talking about this, and I was wondering if there were any studies that psychologists have done about the relationships between actresses and their fathers. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. I wonder, you know, either fathers or mothers or, you know, people with a you know, have that have quote issues in their background. I mean, um, I, I had a terrible relationship with my father. I'm not going to lie. You know, I definitely had daddy issues. Um, I've, I've worked through it, but it took me a long time. Um, and I also was bullied when I was younger too. Um, and so, you know, for those, and then, so uh, like you also have to look at say, um, Charlize Theron, Charlize Theron. So she's had got. She a, had some daddy issues, so to speak. Yeah. Well, she had a really, I, I guess, really dodgy father. And there's, I don't know all the details, but I think her father was shot and killed. And I think it was either her mother or her that did it. It was her mom. I looked it up after don't, you don't told me that. Don't me on that. I'd have to go and read the details. But um, um, there's something funky going on there. So obviously, she went through some serious trauma when she was growing up. 
And then you look at the kind of things, uh, the kind of roles that she's been able to do. Like if you look at the role that she did in Monster, she was able to go to a really, really dark place and, you know, really embrace that kind of um, the pain of feeling victimized um, and really internalize it. And uh, I bet she already really felt it. So it's not hard to feel that way. You know, um, some of the, the roles that I've had have been um, where I've been the victim or victimized. And, you know, because of some of the bullying that I experienced when I was younger um, and the fact that I just never felt like my father was very supportive of really much of anything that I did, um, that, you know, um, you know, you kind of you use those things. You use those things as an actor. Well, I mean, maybe it's it's kind of inevitable because uh, art and, and movies and, and plays and anything like drama is more uh obviously drama is, is has more appeal than like normalcy so all the stories we're going to tell are generally not about well-adjusted normal people living happy lives they're going to be about dramatic things and, and yeah. broken people and dysfunction yeah. and and things happening yeah. and so the people that could maybe are more likely to be able to portray that and live in that space may very well come from broken dysfunctional backgrounds because a normal person is like i don't i don't right. know if i can go and to that then, dark place i don't want to the other thing you, you, you know, have to think about is that for some people, um, you know, if they were bullied or ostracized or victimized, maybe their attitude um, of wanting to be famous um, was, you know, wanting to be loved um, or um, almost like a sense of revenge. Like, oh, you think I'm no good? Well, I'll show you. Right. You or, know? Yeah. I mean, well, that's, that's why I brought up daddy issues with the actresses a little bit too, right? Yet. You think, why am I doing this? <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. I also think it's changed. Um, acting is, um, like you said, it's, it, I, I also don't think it, it takes a lot to be an average actor, but I think that there are some really supremely talented oh, people absolutely. out there that it's a real talent. Absolutely. And it used to be, it, maybe this is just my, the perception I have now looking back, but, um, cause I didn't live then, but I, I, it seems to me that maybe, um, in the early days of Hollywood, like black and white films and, you know, stars like Betty Davis, um, that it was more about the acting and less about celebrity. Not that they weren't huge stars. It's just that now we have 24 seven media saturation with television know. shows. And what do you think? Am I wrong? Yeah. I mean, yeah. in those days, it really was about building the star. It was, it was, you know, I mean, they were way more elite then, and in fact, not accessible to the public. And they were owned um, by the studios, right? Names. They would have this yeah. whole construct of the way they looked. I mean, look at what um, um, Rita Hayworth did. She changed her name to Rita Hayworth. I can't remember what her original name is. In fact, most of them had changed their names. Rita did all these things. You know, she dyed her hair red. She um, changed her entire hairline, had a whole bunch of work done. Um, you know, I mean, she was beautiful to start with, but, you know, they really constructed her to be this, um, you know, the, the image that you imagine Rita Hayworth today. And, and, and there was the, like the, like yeah, studios that. had had stables of actors and actresses, and so yeah. I feel like there was a lot more tight control on the product in in the early days, um, yeah. and certainly way less access to 
the public, every every time you saw that star, it was in a very controlled fashion. There was never, there was no Instagram. Right. So while it's less controlled today, and there's more actors that have, you know, a direct link to the public with our social media and things like that. Um, at the same time, you know, as I say, those actors that actually managed to get to that place, um, a lot of them want to hang on to it. So, yeah. and that's again, so it's like, you know, when we were talking about the stress and the fact that um, a lot of actors are either alcoholics or they self-medicate or whatever to kind of um, uh, deal with it all, you have to understand you've got, you know, maybe their upbringing and there's things there that they haven't you know, they're still dealing with and the fact that they're navigating this world with, you know, a world full of Harveys and, you know, mm -hmm. not just sexual predators, but, um, you know, other people that are also busy trying to climb up the ladder. And, you know, there are a lot of people that will stab you in the back, um, you know, or they'll talk about you. Here's another story. This is interesting. So friend of mine, um, actually, we, we did a film together. He, he died, unfortunately. Um, talented director. And he told me about a friend of his who um, wrote this film that was picked up by a big studio. And uh, he wrote it and he was directing it. And um, they flew him out from England. And here he was in L.A., you know, um, and um, they, um, you know, went through and they had a couple big stars. You know, you had the star actress and they started shooting and they shot for maybe a couple weeks and he wasn't really kind of chiming in with the star actress, but you know, he was thinking, okay, it's a little bit of a rust bubble, you know, we'll get through it and everything. Cause you know, this is my picture. I'm the director, whatever. So he's at a party, it's a party. So you got to picture this. Okay. So he's at a party, he's in Malibu. The cast and crew is around, various other friends, people from the studio, executive producers, et cetera, et cetera. They're all around. He looks at his wife and he goes, you know, isn't it fantastic? We're here. We've made it. We've made it. It's fantastic. We're here. I've done it. We've done it. And they're just like soaking in that moment. And uh, one of the executive producers walks up and there's a few other around him. And he introduces him to this other guy and he says, oh, um, hey, um, this is so-and-so. He's also a director. And by the way, he's going to be taking over for you. But hey, stick around and have a great time today. <laughs> well, <laughs> right? I mean. Imagine. Can you imagine how you'd feel that you'd gone through all of that? You know, you wrote the thing. I mean, you did all the deals and everything to get everything in place, only to find out that after two weeks, the star actress said, you know what? I don't like this director. If you want me in this picture, you're going to have to replace him. And they did. And the reason why they did is because she was an established star. She knew that she could supply butts on seats when the thing came to be, um, you know, out in the world, distributed. And that director, even though it was his picture, he wrote it, etc. He didn't matter, and he was expendable. Still, yeah. I mean, the only real antidote for this is for Americans to stop worshiping Hollywood actors and actresses. Um, yes, and certainly do. that Imagine video helps. Uh, well, but and also, uh, did you see um, Carter? We didn't talk about this on 
unsafe space yet. Um, did, did you see the Madonna video in the oh bathtub? Oh, my God. I Dear did. I didn't realize it was Lord. Madonna. I thought it was just like an insane asylum woman yeah. that was somehow like made a video oh, and people were looking at. Oh my god! No, I, you know what? It I don't want to. Sorry, like Madonna. It doesn't look like Madonna. A, B. I found it to use that word from earlier very creepy, um, and and again, like the Imagine video, just out of touch and divorced from. Uh, being able to understand what people can relate to, and and what's weird about that is is she's also she's in the tub. For anyone who hasn't seen it, she's in a bathtub. It doesn't look like Madonna. Her face looks like it just like she's had so much work done. I can't recognize her. Yeah, I had and, no uh, idea who she was at all, and yeah, I grew up listening there, to Madonna. Did you see no the idea. Fried fish situation thing. Did you yes. see that one with the brush? Wow. Yes. Wow. And, but one of the things she says about the virus is she said coronavirus doesn't care about how much fame you have or how much money and it's the great equalizer and that's what's most horrible about it well first of all it's not the great equalizer you do have um uh if you do have if you do have a lot of money and fame you can um Stay you know isolate yourself <laughs> in a very different circumstances than the average person so you're not even understanding that you but can secondly, sit in your bathtub and and lament that's, right, but yeah. secondly, if like it is the great equalizer, about did you see that? Yeah. Like, I wonder if she had her helper. It's like, oh, put, put some rose petals in there, so it looks really good. Yeah, <laughs> but if it is the great equalizer, that's what she was bemoaning. It sounded to me like she was saying, "What's what's the mo the most awful thing about this is that it makes us all equal, and my fame and money don't matter because I could also catch it." How narcissistic is that? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, I mean, also, it's also just know, not true. The thing is, people have to understand, too. Um, you know, I went out with somebody years ago that was extremely well-known. Um, I'm not going to say who. And it was very interesting to me that his whole world was just surrounded by yes-men. Mm. And people that adored him. Yeah. His best friend was his manager. Well, I've found that artists don't know how to surround themselves with the right business people or people generally because it's not a skill set that's, you know, when you're when you're trying to be an actor, you're focused on, or a musician, I guess, you're focused on the art usually. Um, and there's no, like in, not that business is a lot better, but it can be much better. In business, at least, like you kind of slowly rise through managerial ranks generally, or you're an entrepreneur and you... Um, you know, you, you fail and recover and fail and recover, and you kind of learn generally uh, how to how to be a better manager and how to pick better people if you're hiring, and like you yeah, learn to hire the best people around you. But they don't yeah. ever learn that. But but they're going to surround themselves with people that say yes, right? They're which is not the right way to manage anything. And say, yeah, that's a great idea. You're doing, you know. And if they do say something negative, those people that are being paid by them. Um, are going to be very careful about any negative thing that they say. Um, so, so speaking of someone... That's, and that's how they who, lose touch. They lose touch because they're surrounded by these people going, oh, yeah, Madonna, you're great. Anything you do yeah. is great. You know, the thing that you left in the toilet, that's great, too. <laughs> <laughs> so know? speaking as someone who managed um, artists, yes, 
you will, for the most part, now I know there are some who are different who do know, but they're rare, the ones who don't, um, I, th- I think it must be a very hard thing to not fall prey to to wanting to have people around you who are kissing your ass all the time. But so um, I know there are those who don't fall prey to that. And, but, 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 but in my experience, um, telling the truth and, and trying to give honest, constructive feedback um, means that you're not going to be managing them for long. (laughs) And because because even if they start off wanting that honest feedback, once they start to achieve a level of fame, then all of the these they're surrounded by people who are trying to get close to that fame and power. And so there are constantly people trying to drive a wedge between you and trying to come in and take your role and and telling whispering sweet nothings, you know, about how amazing they are and how, you know, you don't need this person telling you no. Even at yeah. my level, okay, I remember when Eyes Wide Shut came out, um, you know, and here I was. So, you know, right before Eyes Wide Shut, I was a working model, a working fashion model. Um, I wasn't a big supermodel, but, you know, I did pretty well, you know, uh, but I wasn't, I wasn't famous or anything like that. And after Eyes Wide Shut, I had people getting in touch with me that I hadn't talked to in a while or people that were kind of acquaintances and maybe we had gone out for coffee, but, you know, maybe we didn't really click and, you know, things just kind of petered out or whatever. Those people were calling me going, hey, oh, my gosh, you know, I saw you on Eyes Wide Shut and wow, you know, we should get together. Right. You know, I'd love to come with you to one of your parties and things like of course that. They would. And, and I, I just, it just, you know, the whole time, like, you know, I mean, I definitely rode the wave while it was going on. I'm, you know, I, um, all these different PR companies would call me and say, oh, there's this party or there's that premiere or, you know, there's this, um, you know, diamond opening and things like that. And I had a blast. I'm not going to lie. It was so fun. I had an absolute blast. And the pe- all the people that I met and, you know, the dark side aside, um, I had a blast and I met some great people and I had drank way too much champagne and I, I had a lot. Of fun. <laughs> um, but, you know, I just remember all those times and you know like the designers like there's this one designer that um you know they all had to have the picture with me that ended up in the papers the next day or in the back of the magazines where they got all those celeb pictures and things like this and you know i just remember he saying to me goes oh you know i've got to design you something you know i need to design you something um and and of course we'll do something for your husband too i'm like great you know the design never happened. Never finished designing it. So I think he expected that I was going to immediately do another film that was going to catapult me further. And so he just kind of he said that, and then kind of waited to see what other next big thing I was going to do. And because it wasn't like another big blockbuster after that, it was like, yeah, I'm not going to bother, you know. Mm-hmm. But he wanted to be seen with me at the time because I was the hot thing to be seen with. There's so much fakery in in that world. And so, you know, it reminds me of, um, there's an old film, I think it was about, was it about Julius Caesar? Um, It was an old film where um, I think the Caesar was going through and doing like this victory lap in his carriage. And uh, his assistant 
was there behind him. And as all of Rome was like, you know, oh my gosh, you know, hallelujah to our Caesar, praise Caesar, whatever, right? Um, The assistant behind him kept whispering in his ear and saying, glory is fleeting. Glory is fleeting. (laughs) Glory is fleeting. And you think about that. And I thought about that while all these parties were going on, because I always kind of thought, you know, I know all this is going on and everybody kind of wants to know me. And I'm like the new young thing that everybody, you know, thinks, oh, wow, you know, let's be next to Julianne kind of thing. But I thought, glory is fleeting. Glory is fleeting. I mean, I, I, I kind of, I realized it for what it was. And I thought, you know, I'm going to have fun and ride the wave and try not to let it affect me. Um, and, and know that this too shall pass. This too is a construct. Um, and I think that that and in the combination of my wonderful husband kind of, you know, and my friends, I had some great friends have great friends and all of that kept me grounded. Yeah. You know, Julian, I have a question for you from the chat. Um, which, by the way, people are loving this. Uh, there are co- we have a couple of civil engineers in the chat, more than one. Um, so, uh, EC, oh, I'm probably... Is them? <laughs> yeah, they loved it. Um, so, I might be pronouncing this wrong. But anyway, he wanted me to ask, how does a movie like Eyes Wide Shut uh, get made when it seemingly is revealing some like truth about about some of the darker things that go on in the industry is it made as is it made in an attempt to fantasize it it's a story yeah you know and i mean it's not like if stanley were alive today it's not like stanley um is going to come forward and say i did this to talk about the hollywood elite entertainment banking politic royal machine and the dark side of that i mean he's not going to say that he's gonna he's gonna present it as like this is an interesting story look at this yeah he's not gonna right i mean you're not gonna do that so people can forever pontificate not that's not the right word anyway people can forever talk about whether um it's a story or if it's real um, you know, if it is a real look into what goes on, um, people are always going to talk about that. There seems to be a, this seems to be a common, uh, habit of, of the elite though. They like to flirt with revealing the truth about them. I mean, just do a, if, if you have a strong stomach, just do like a Google search of Podesta's art, right? Like John, John Podesta's art. Oh, I've, um, I've done it. Yeah. Right. Oh, like yeah. they, they just really like to flirt with this idea of like, I'm going to tell some truth, but I'm going to do it in some kind of way where um, there's plausible deniability. And I think they get like yeah. a secret thrill that yeah. they've kind of told you what they're doing and yeah. and how evil they are. But uh, you can't really I do mean, anything about it because they said it in a way that's, you know, it's got plausible deniability. Yeah, I mean, this starts getting into full on um, conspiracy theory and all of that. But there's. I mean, you know, there is some really dark stuff that goes on. I obviously run lightning speed in the opposite direction. I I, I want nothing to do with that side. Um, you know, the the truth is, unless we're in it, 
I mean, how much are we going to know that they do? You know, obviously all of us hear about the conspiracy theories that, you know, there's, um, you know, not just pedophilia going on, but there's also like child sacrifice and people are eating um, human flesh. And, you know, there's this thing called adrenochrome where they try and, um, you know, eat the human flesh while the child is, um, or they kill the child while the child is absolutely terrified. And somehow that's supposed to be, give them longevity, all this stuff, you know, Pizzagate and Clinton. And, you know, it's, of course, we've all heard about these things. Um, I'm sure there's elements of it that are, that are true. Um, but how are, how are we ever going to know all of those details unless we delve into it ourselves and, and prove ourselves to be like-minded? And so the question is, is that even if you were going to um, investigate, how far down this road are you going to go in order to discover all the truth of what's going on? I don't know about you, but you know, I wouldn't want to witness it um, I wouldn't want to have to, I don't know, if, if they are in fact eating human flesh, I would not want to eat human flesh. Um, you know, all of these things that are going on, I, I just, you know, I'd like to hope that we, as, as things continue, that we will continue to shine a light on those people. Um, you know, that getting back to Hollywood, that we do start to dismantle the elitism of Hollywood um, and the elitism of the world, really, if we just continue to dismantle it. I don't think that people that are famous should be um, uh, exalted or revered. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think so that's, I, that's what's happening with this. One interesting side effect of the coronavirus is that it's pushed all of these big you know, celebrities out of the media and people are focused on much more immediate concerns. There, some people are panicking about the virus. People are worried about their financial situation, understandably. And so I no, think well, that this stop. fascination... 100% of our income has just gone poof. Yeah. 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 So I think people are, uh, I think people are starting... They're not, they're not in worship mode right now of celebrities. And they're not completely focused on their Instagrams and stuff like that. And so I think that some of these strange, like bizarre uh, posts that we're seeing from people like Madonna and Sam Smith, who did the selfies of himself crying, I think it's them looking to, like, no, we're still here. Worship us. <laughs> like right. it's a reaction to not being looked at. Do you know what? Do you guys, did you guys ever watch dream on in the nineties? No. There's a comedy series called Dream On. Well, David Bowie was in it, and he played this director. It was like a, a it's this comedy series, and there was this one section where it was uh, about this film. And there's this bit where, you know, they start saying, but this, this, and this. And David Bowie looked at some of the people that were complaining, and he just went, do you know what? He goes, I don't care. <laughs> and that is how I feel. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> do you are, are we being optimistic do you think this the coronavirus will have a, a lasting impact because i mean i agree i think there's way too much uh celebrity worship i felt that way for a long time um and uh i i, I don't understand people who you know read about celebrity gossip and care about celebrity life at all it's just i've never related to it i don't get it um but i, I do I, think I, we need I, a level of either. they're no diff they're no look 
how they're different is their lifestyles can be different in the fact that they have more money, they're able to travel, they can have these interesting parties and, you know, which, as I say, that I've, you know, experienced some of that. Um, but they're really not different intrinsically because, you know, they still have families, they still have to eat, they still have to go to the toilet. Um, you know, they still have dark moments. They, um, they have happy moments, whatever, you know, they're right. So, well, but it's not yeah. just, it's not just, it's not just wealth because people don't obsess over Warren Buffett as much as they obsess over, uh, A-list celebrities. There's something, there's plenty of really wealthy people. There's plenty of billionaires that you've never heard of. Um, yeah. and they could buy and sell celebrities for breakfast if they wanted, but they, but it's the celebrities that people pay attention to. I don't know what it is. I mean, I, I don't know why that, you know, if you see people on a screen, um, on a big screen, why the worship happens. I, I don't know. I don't know why. But I think it, you need to have a society that's so comfortable that you have enough excess time and energy that that is the, that I, I, don't you have to be like so bored and have so much wealth as a society that you can wonder who's dating whom in L.A.? Well, yeah, I think there is a little bit of that. And so maybe, um, to your point, Carrie, maybe that's why some of this is going away because people are looking at um, things that are much more, you know, um, the coronavirus, this is real. This is real. Um, what we're looking at with, you know, the shutdown of our um, economy, this is real. Um, this isn't make-believe. This isn't glamour. Um, and so in that respect, it does make people think, but I mean, I don't think, um, for most of us and, and definitely all of the people that are progressive, that they really have any idea about what life could really be, you know, outside the West or, um, in a totalitarian regime, which is really what they want. Yeah. Um, I, I, they have no concept no concept. In fact, you know, I mean, let's be real. We don't have any concept. We've always lived in the West. I mean, right. you know, we, we think of ourselves as, you know, more lovers of freedom and, you know, more on the conservative side or, you know, with you, Carter, you're more libertarian. And um, According to the left, I'm a Nazi, so don't worry about that. that life <laughs> intense experience of living in a situation like how they live, um, you know, I mean, we haven't had the kind of hardship that they dealt with in the Great Leap Forward. Right. You know, we haven't we haven't lived like if you were to watch the film The Lives of Others. We haven't lived like that yet, um, and so we don't understand how that feels. You have to, I think, to a certain extent, um, you have to um, really live it to to take it in, and and that's why you know Jordan Peterson recommends um, to read the Gulag Archipelago. Mm -hmm. uh, which I would like to read. I haven't read it yet, but you know, man, I'm, I'm sure it's going to be an extremely harrowing read. Um, but maybe it's something all of us need to read to understand that. But, you know, I'm going to swing back to the Hollywood thing one more time and just say that for those people, if, if you're, if you're, you know, with what I was talking about, about, um, you know, where the money and the investment comes from and, and you know, some of these real sharks in, in the business that are kind of controlling the, the power structures and everything like that. If you don't want to um, to be an unwitting um, uh, donator to 
this by buying the films or, you know, watching them or whatever, screening them because, you know, all of that makes them money. Then make a choice moving forward that um, start looking in different places to find people who are artists that are, like I was saying in the very beginning, the ones that are doing smaller budget films, they don't have a big star, um, they might be crowdfunding, um, you know, they're being really creative with things like um, making sure that they don't have, you know, loads of CGI or, or big, you know, um, action scenes that cost millions of dollars to, you know, be able to shoot a scene in the middle of Paris, for instance, um, you know, start supporting those smaller guys and those smaller films, because I can tell you, you're going to be a lot safer putting your money into those places because those people, those artists that are doing it, you know, a lot of these are real passion projects. Um, those artists are not going to be getting their money from drug traffickers or child traffickers or sex traffickers or, you know, like um, black market gun sales or whatever. You know, those people are not going to be getting their money that way. They're going to be getting their money from refinancing their homes, crowdfunding, friends, family, um, you know, maybe um, a lawyer or a doctor that they know that has um, a, a slightly bigger percentage because they like the idea of kind of like, ooh, I could be a producer in a film. Those are the projects that you should be supporting because those are the projects that are safe. I think if conservative, and I'm saying this as a non-conservative, but certainly as an anti-leftist, uh, I think conservatives really want to go after, if they really want to fight the culture war and they really want to um, destroy Hollywood, they need to be providing alternatives because um, I totally there's agree. not a lot of what you're talking about. There's some, and it's out there, totally but there's agree. not a lot. Here's, here's the problem um, with some of that, is that until conservatives have all levels, um, if, if, if until they have an outlet in, in all levels, so until they have you know enough actors that they can choose from, they have directors, they have producers, they have sales agents, they have distributors, and they have networks. So you have to have all of those things sewn up um, that are run by either conservatives or libertarians or at least anti-leftists. And I hate to say this. I mean, I, you know, years ago I used to say, well, you know, I'm happy to work with somebody, um, you know, if they're talented and they're the right person for the role or whatever. You know, if, if I was involved with the film, I'm, I'm happy to work with them regardless. I'm not sure if I entirely feel that way anymore. And I get what you're saying about the culture war because I think it is very important. What did Breitbart say? Uh, politics is downstream from culture. We do need to change the culture, but I'm telling you that for a lot of conservatives, they say to me, well, you know, why don't you, why don't you do a Christian film? Or, you know, if we look, about, look at the film of, you know, Gosnell or, you know, a, a sort of anti-abortion film. Do you think that anybody from the center left is going to see any of those films, a faith-based film or an anti-abortion film or a film about Gosnell or well, are they? It, it doesn't know? matter if the left sees it. What matters is that the mainstream stops buying leftist movies um, so that That's they get true. defunded. That's what matters. Yes, but I'm going to go one step further for you here. What actually needs to be done is more films need to be subversively conservative. Yes. <laughs> okay. No, so first, I agree. Yes. Right. So 
what I'm saying to you is that, in, in fact, I mean, I'm going to bring it up. And I, I don't know all of his politics. He doesn't really talk about it. But I'm going to talk about Tarantino's last film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. For me, that was a, cons that was a subversively conservative film. And the reason I say that is, um, you know, look at the relationship between the two male leads. Here's two guys. Yes, they're flawed. But they took responsibility for their own lives. They had a straight relationship that didn't have, um, you know, gay undertones or trans undertones. Um, they were responsible men that behaved like men. And um, they, they got on with it, even though they were going through some hardships. Right? Hmm. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't see it. So you're, this is all new to me. <laughs> they also, they depicted the hippies for what they really were rather than um, looking at them through rose-colored lenses. And so for those reasons, I look at that, and I, and I think that's a good thing. I really want to see that one, and now I want to see it even more. Um, I love, I, I actually, I have a soft spot for Tarantino movies. I, um, somebody in the chat mentioned Joker having uh, subtle themes about, and we talked about some of those themes being about um, just holding a mirror up to the press and the media and what's wrong with them. And um, I thought that film, even though it was a big budget film and, you know, it was a mainstream film, I thought it had some subversive elements to it. Um, and then, uh, oh, there was another one. Oh, I didn't see this one, but I heard interesting, and I want to see it eventually, Black Panther. I heard that Black Panther, was oh, it not? I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. But um, here's another one, The Mule. And I mean, maybe that was obvious because it's, you know, Clint Eastwood. But The Mule. Um, I and see that. So I was subversive is that you know here's a guy that was doing these um you know drug runs um knew he was doing drug runs made money gave it to good um you know for for good purpose gave it away for good purposes but when he got caught he didn't lie he didn't pretend that he wasn't doing it and he was willing actually more than willing to go to prison for what he did. Because it was like, I know that I did the wrong thing. Um, I used the money for good purposes, but I know I still did the wrong thing. And the fact that I got caught, yes, I got caught. Yes, I've done the wrong thing. And yes, I should be punished for it. That's a good thing. Mm -hmm. and, in, and in that film also, it was, you really saw um, a sense of um, uh, wanting his family to be strong. Um, trying to find a way to keep his family together and strong. So, you know, there's there's a lot of ways that I think in Hollywood we could be more more conservatives, whether they're out or in the closet. They need to find ways to subversively write stories that um, that create a, a positive outlook for family and for um, for conservative values. Yeah. Yeah, but subversively, yeah. Well, um, I don't know, Julianne, is there anything else we need to, to chat about before we wrap it up? I think we've been going for an hour and a half just about. Oh, I know. Um, <laughs> yeah. I love talking with you. I'm I, so glad we got to do this again. I know. I love it. It's so fun. I'm, I, I always have a blast talking to you guys. Deep yeah. subjects. Yeah. yeah, it's uh, I, you and I should just 
uh, record our phone conversations sometimes, <laughs> I think. Oh, I know. My God. Did, did Carrie, um, I talked to Carter and we had another two hour conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, Julianne, that's how we started doing the podcast together, the daily one, when we were doing it daily, was because he and I were having such long phone calls, and then we were like, why don't we just air these? Yes, good idea, good idea, yeah. 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 Oh, you know what, I just want to leave you with one little last thing. I think uh, it's really wonderful that Trump said that he was hoping or wanted the country to open back up on Easter. Now, I think that's a beautiful thing because there's a lot of symbolism about that. It's like, you know, the idea of the resurrection, that we are resurrecting our economy, um, you know, that we will rise above. um, And also that reference, again, to Christianity. And I do really believe that now I know Carter is an atheist. We've had some very, very long conversations about that. Um, But even Carter agrees with me in the respect that um, the foundational aspects um, of our country and of the West um, were based on or derived from Christianity. And I think that it's a good thing that he's kind of giving little nods towards that here and there, because I think we need to kind of pull back from the leftism and our kind of moral relativism that's going on in the world today because there's a lot of darkness and nihilism. Now, Carter is a very moral person. He had this um, moral upbringing in his um, Christian household when he was young. And I think even though Carter is still um, atheist or has become atheist, I think that those foundations are still deep, deep, deep within him that cause that morality to um, continue forward and come through. And I think that as a society, all of us need to embrace that. That's not to say we need to embrace, um, you know, all being um, a speaking in tongues, Baptist, fundamentalist, Christian, going to church every day kind of thing. But I do think that we need to embrace the idea of an immutable sense of morality that comes from something like whether you want to call it God, the all, the beginning and the end, the everything, whatever you want to call it. But I think that there's there's something to that. And I think the fact that Trump did that, that does those little nods here and there, that, that acknowledges God, um, I think it's a good thing for the masses that we need to get behind that because that will hold our society together morally and ethically. And I think it's just so important. I've, I'm glad you brought this up. And I don't want to go off on a, a long rabbit, other rabbit hole discussion. But... Um, I don't know if you're familiar with this uh, preacher named Marcus Rogers, but I've recently, you should check him out. I recently found uh, his videos on YouTube. I think Gracie West, one of our other um, uh, friends who comes on the show from time to time, recommended him to me. But anyway, he had this very interesting to me video about from a Christian perspective, because everything he does is from that perspective mm-hmm. um, about how, Uh, he was reading some verses from Isaiah and he was talking about how God is using the coronavirus to humble us as a country and as a culture. And because, you know, much like we talked about, he's like, you know, the idols have fallen. Every, no one's looking at the celebrities like we talked about. Everyone's focused on this, you know, the here and now. And he's, and from his perspective, he's like, this is a great opportunity for us to be humbled and to put our, 
eyes on God and on the things that really matter. Now, I'm, I'm, these are my words. He said it in a much different way, but um, he also pointed out the significance of trying to aim for Easter as, you know, to see where we are then, but, but setting that as the goal of just reevaluating is very symbolic and, um, and, and I think very purposeful that he picked that date. I agree. Uh, my brother, the civil engineer, said to me, and I totally agree, he said, we do need to unseat the scientists and the intellectuals. And I know that sounds very anti-intellectual. I'm not, I'm not meaning for it to sound like that, but there's a mm-hmm. kind of like a, a sort of smugness and an arrogance like, oh, well, you know, we're going to look to science for ultimate truth. But the reality is, I mean, let's just get right down to it. The reality is we will never know everything. Mm-hmm. We won't. We don't have inside information to the answers of all of our universe. Now, that's not to say that we shouldn't continue to search for answers and discover things and use our intellect to, um, to discover and learn and explore and all of those things. I'm not saying that. But... What I am saying, like what he was saying, is that, yes, we do need to humble ourselves. We need to truly humble ourselves and think we don't have all the answers. And there is something bigger than us. Mm -hmm. And we don't have total control over everything. And then, and I, you know, the more we can do that and the more we can um, get back to, again, those Christian-derived um, fundamentals that do cause us to have that sense of humility and think about what we do to our fellow man and how we treat the world and all of those things. It's, it's really, really important. It's really important. Yeah. Well, I, don't I just wanna, wanted to we, make we a could, comment and oh, say ahead, uh, in chat, uh, German says, okay, I love you guys, but you're losing me here. Hey, this is unsafe space. We don't have... We can't have everyone all of the time. If we did, then we're not saying anything provocative. <laughs> it's okay, German. I got your back because if you if, if you're falling off here, give, give me a chance. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to turn this into a three hour discussion about religion, so I'm not gonna, I'm not going to argue with stuff. But I am going to just state my position very clearly. I'm an atheist. I do not believe in a supreme being. I do not believe that a supreme being is necessary for the derivation of morals. While I do appreciate that Christianity um, did give rise to the freest society that has ever existed in human history, and in my view, the best and most moral society that has ever existed, and I do think there are Christian roots um, based on that. I don't think Christianity is necessary for objective... Uh, unshakable moral premises. I also agree that you can that uh, uh, you are very di- intelligent and you are very moral, and I think that there is a small percentage of atheists that um, can live that way that are okay and good with that. But I'm talking about the masses, right? I, I understand about- it, and I, you and I could get into a big long conversation about what's good for the masses. But uh, you know, I do. I, one thing that has happened, which I've said before on the show, is. Um, one thing that the atheists have done, which has been despicable, and uh, I'm, I'm not one of the atheists that has done this, but most have. Most, most atheists are also socialists. Um, what they've done is they've come in and they've bulldozed the house. They bulldozed the cathedral of uh, belief. And they told you that God didn't exist and that God wasn't useful and religion was a fraud. 
And then they proceeded to replace it with absolutely nothing. And that left people out in the cold with no uh, no moral direction, no moral compass. It, it led to nihilism. basically nihilism. Ne- yeah, it led to nihilism, hedonism, and um, just a very lost soul in culture. And, and I don't think... I don't think that was very responsible. I think it should have been yeah. replaced with a very clear understanding of how to rationally drive um, ethics and morals. But, but there, but that's what happened, and that we did. Yeah. And I do. I will say, it's not unscientific to throw out scientists and intellectuals. It's unscientific to throw out science. And we have a we have a culture, especially on the left, that worships scientists over science. Scientists yeah. are not science. Scientists right. are human beings with agendas. The reason I, 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 when I said unseat, I, I said, because what that is, what's happening is that we are worshiping science. Yes. We are worshiping intellectuals. And it doesn't matter how much we discover with science. It doesn't matter how smart somebody is. They do not have all of the information. And just on that alone, that's why we need to be humbled. Because we don't, we will never have all the information. Well, no That's scientist why. would That's claim to have all the information. From. Anyone who claims they have all the information is not a scientist. That's exactly. not how science works. Um, well, and as Daniel says in the chat, in the absence of religious morals, young people have needed to find meaning. And a lot of them found politics and social justice. Exactly, That's, Daniel. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a um, the problem and so that's even saying about the masses I, I think you know the masses do believe need to believe in something in something something bigger than themselves something immutable i mean i'm not talking about you carter you know although i do wish you <laughs> believed in god it kind of saddens me you know i mean i, I we'll, we'll debate about god, god another it's need okay to believe in in some of the minutiae that's what I'm saying. It's like, is the minutia necessary? Is all the little aspects of dogma, the various little things, is that necessary? For me, no, it's not. But, you know, it's whatever works for people. But I do think that it's like we've got to have that anchor. We need to have that anchor. And we desperately do now because the left, the progressives, the intellectuals, and the scientists have torn it apart, just torn it up completely. And we're just in free fall, morally and ethically. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, well, I want to have you back. Ian and chat suggested that we have you back to have the conversation about God, which we haven't done, and I would still love to do. <laughs> I, I feel like Julianne and I have had this exact conversation at least twice, and probably for a total of, what, four hours? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and neither one of us changes our position on anything. But, no, but um, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good, and, and uh, I, I don't know. I don't know how people would respond to it. I'm, I'm seeing in chat actually, people are saying that like they want to go down this rabbit hole. We don't have to do it now, but uh, yeah, let's do it. Sometime. We can totally do that talk. I really have to pee. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, maybe we should uh, we should wrap it up and call it a day. But um. Julianne, thank you very much. Uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you, as always. Thank you so much for um, for so stopping fun. by today. I, I, I've enjoyed it very much. Yeah, very much. Thank you, Julianne. And I want to say thank you to um, Little Ragamuffin for organizing the raffle to support Unsafe Space, which is still going on today. And thank you to everyone who contributed today in the Super Chat as part of the raffle. We really appreciate you guys, and um, we will see you later this week. 
Alrighty, thanks everyone. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe. You can go to subscribestar.com and support the show, uh, which does take money and effort to do. So uh, if you like our content, don't be a moocher. Go go support our show. Or you can go buy some merch oh. uh, if you want. Yeah, and want I, I guess I should say, if anybody wants to chat to me or has any questions, I mean, you can follow me on Twitter, Julianne yes. underscore Davis, or follow me on Facebook under Julianne Davis. Um, and uh, yeah, see you there. Are you, you are you in any movies that Julianne people should go see now a, coming out? Wait, I, I was saying following Julianne is really fun because you post a lot of controversial, <laughs> unsafe space <laughs> topics. I know. I mean, I love my little. Uh, sorry, I shouldn't say I love my own thing, but you know the picture of Pelosi that I did. <laughs> sorry. Oh yeah, you. you uh, oh my god. Oh, okay. All, all right, right, guys. Well, thanks, everyone, again. Um, have a great day, and we will see you on Friday for another uh, Covfefe break. Until then, uh, stay safe, and um, I don't know, wear your mask. Who knows? Bye. <laughs>